Well, good morning. It's good to have each of you here uh, joining us online as we stream this service this morning. A um, couple of things that I want to make you aware of before we enter into worship and then the Word. First of all, there's going to be an end to this pause. Right now, it doesn't seem that way as we have moved week after week after week, but it's going to be an end one of these days. Um, I don't have any inside information, but to the best of my knowledge and to the best of the people's knowledge that are around me, people that know a lot more than I do, people that are a lot more connected than I am, everybody seems to be looking at the date of June the 7th, perhaps June the 7th, being back in church as we did a few weeks ago. Um, I'm hoping for this date. I'm praying for this date. I'm believing for this date. And so I just encourage you all to know that there's going to be an end. If it's not June the 7th, it's going to be one Sunday in the near future. So a couple of things that I want to enlist your help with. Do any of you know of someone that needs help? We as a ministry are gearing up so as that we can reach out and help folks that need it. Is there someone around you and your family and your neighborhood, someone that you are aware of that needs help buying groceries, uh, running errands, various things of that nature? If there's anyone that's in a high-risk uh, category that doesn't need to really be at the grocery store, that doesn't need to be running errands, let us know because I really believe that we can assist them. So uh, call the church office, communicate with us on Realm, Facebook, however, but let us know who it is that needs help. We are setting up uh, to be able to cook meals here at the church and deliver them to various people. And so we need to also have a list of folks that you might know that need help with meals. And so let us know that as well. Let me say a big thank you to you for your faithfulness. The last couple of weeks that we've uh, streamed our service live, um, we've had over 50 people tune in. Well, I guess that's 50, 50 people tune in, but they have families with them. So it's more than 50 that's listening to us online. I encourage you to invite somebody to uh, listen in. Uh, send them an email, send them a text, and let them know where we're found out on the internet. Um, we're going to begin doing a lot more communications. Uh, we're going to be on Realm. We're going to be on Facebook. We're going to be on YouTube. And so I encourage you to reach out and find those times whenever we're communicating and be a part of it. Uh, you know, join in the conversations. Um, uh, this is going to be coming this next week and for the weeks that follow until we're back in church uh, uh, like we were once before. Um, let me thank you for your giving. Last week, we had folks that responded to um, our special offering for benevolence. Folks, we're trying to gear up because we believe that as this virus, as this whole pandemic moves along, that we're going to find ourselves uh, facing a lot more situations where people have need. And uh, right now, we're not seeing so much, but we will as uh, we have uh, visited with other pastors that are around our community, pastors that are around the state, we believe that there's going to be a lot of need. And so we want to prepare for that. We want to set ourselves up for this community that we live in whenever they have dire straits need that we can help them. So thank you for your giving. Uh, thank you for your uh, uh, continued faithfulness to this ministry. And let me remind you of one last thing. The church isn't a place it's a family. 
It's not about this building, but it's about the people that call Trinity Church home. And so I encourage you to be the church, be the church, be the church. Let me introduce to you our worship, and uh, let me make sure you uh, know that it's not just to watch, it's to participate in. So let's take a few minutes and just worship the Lord. Thank you. 
Oh 
before you this morning. Father, we just thank you that we can come and we know that you are with us at all times, no matter what or what the situation or what's going on in the world. Father, we can proclaim, Lord, that you are our blessing. And this morning, we give you all the glory and the honor and praise. Amen. I want to thank the worship team and the tech team, all the people that have made it possible for us to be streaming this live. As you can see, there's a lot of work that's gone into the production of this every Sunday. And so I just want to thank them. Thank, thank them for the good worship and the good quality that this is. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about the power of prayer. A simple title to a message. I can tell you that probably there's been thousands upon thousands of messages that have been entitled the same way, Power of Prayer. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the Word. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord. We just pray, Father, through the power of your Word, through the enlisting of your Holy Spirit to help us and guide us through this Word. I pray, Father, that the anointing of the the anointing of God would be upon all that is said and done. And Father, we put it in your hands, Lord, and we pray that this word affects us, Lord, in such a way that it furthers the kingdom of God. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So let me just give you a little bit about prayer. There are 650 prayers listed in the Bible. There are approximately 450 recorded answers to prayer in the Bible. The first time prayer was mentioned in the Bible was in Genesis 4.26. It says, And as Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. The men, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. First time it was mentioned in the Bible. The Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times during his earthly ministry. Paul mentioned prayer 41 times in the New Testament. Although prayer can be done from any position, bodily position, the Bible does tell us five specific postures. It says we can pray standing, we can pray kneeling, we can pray with one's face towards the ground, we can pray with our hands lifted up. So all of this talk about prayers, there's prayers, there's prayers, there's prayers all through the Bible. So this morning, the question kind of comes is, why is it that we pray? What is all of this prayer? Well, I believe we pray because we're mortal. We're mortal. And here's a blow to all of us. We're all mortal. Whenever you see these prayers listed in the Bible, these folks were mortal. And you say, well, Jesus wasn't mortal. Well, Jesus was all man while he was here on this earth. And so he enlisted the help of prayer. So we're mortal. I'm mortal. And because I'm mortal, there are limits to what I can do. I can't do everything. In fact, I'll be very honest with you. There's lots of limits on being mortal. The truth is that there are very few things that I can actually do as a mortal. Folks, if you think about it, the very breath that you breathe, the heartbeat that goes on inside your chest every day, God enables that to happen. He gives that the power in our, in our bodies to do the things that they do. Well, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the things that we see over and over is a phrase, and it's called, it's this, and they cried out to the Lord. It may be a little worded differently in certain places, but ultimately that's what it boils down to. They cried out to the Lord. So whenever you read all of the Bible stories, one of the things that you're going to find out is that God's people over and over and over cried out to him. Crying out basically translates this. 
they prayed. They prayed. They called upon the name of the Lord. They prayed because they were mortal, and he is immortal. They prayed because they were limited, but he is unlimited. They prayed because they were unable, but he is able. They prayed because they were natural, but he is supernatural. They prayed because they weren't sufficient, but he is all-sufficient. They prayed because they were powerless, but he is all-powerful. You see, in this crazy time that you and I are living in, this, this, this church is in the middle of, this nation is in the middle of, this world is in, an, in the middle of, I believe all the more that we should be crying out to the Lord. I think we should be praying a lot. You see, we're not going to cry out to the Lord, though. We're not going to pray unless we know that we need Him. we got to come to this fundamental idea of I pray because I need. I pray because I'm mortal and he is immortal. I pray because I'm natural and he is supernatural. You see, crying out to God is an act of desperation. It's an act of total consecration. Folks, I'll tell you, our government is not the answer to the coronavirus. The medical community, God bless them, and I, I'm, I pray for them daily, but they're not the answer to this crisis as well. We need to be crying out to God in, a, in, a, in an act of desperation because as a nation, as a people, we ought to be desperate for an answer to what's going on in our, in our lives. So crying out to God is this act of desperation. It's a, it's a fervent expression of faith in God. It's a fervent expression of trust in His goodness and trust in His power to act on our behalf to actually get involved in what's going on here on this planet and to do what he does best. You see, crying out to God expresses some of these traits right here. First of all, genuine humility. You see, it's hard for people to admit that they can't solve a problem, that they can't overcome an obstacle, especially for men sometimes. It's difficult because we should be the ones with the Superman emblem on our chest, but unfortunately, we're not any of us Superman. In fact, there is no such thing as Superman. There is a super God, however. Genuine humility. It's true that we need God's help, and we have to be a people that acknowledges we have to have His help. You see, God delights in a broken and contrite heart people who humbly come to him and seek his aid. The next trait is this. Beyond genuine humility, you and I need to have unconditional surrender. You see, whenever a situation becomes so desperate that only God can deliver us, we have to, we have to cry. We have to cry to him, and that cry represents that total unconditional surrender where we say, Lord, I throw my hands up. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get it done. Don't try to bargain with God because you leave your life in his hands and say, God, it's your way, not my way, not my wants, but your will be done. The third trait that I want to talk about this morning is that you and I should have a plea for mercy. Apart from Christ, you and I have no value that merits God's favor. Folks, we might think that we're something. We might even think we're all that. 
but apart from Jesus Christ being in us, we have no merit for God's favor. In other words, just because we might be rich or talented or just because we might do all the things that we need to do uh, well, we have no merit besides Christ Jesus whenever it comes to God's favor. All things come through Christ. You see, whenever we as human beings are driven to a point of despair, a point of destruction, our unworthiness before God often becomes more apparent. We begin to see, man, whew, I'm a mess. I'm undone. We begin to see how small we are and how big he is. And oftentimes that can motivate us to cry out for his mercy. God, just give me mercy. I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. But I call on your, your unconditional mercy. This is what it says in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because he is compassion. his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The next trait that I want to talk about is personal helplessness. You see, sometimes we tend to believe that we need God's help with only the really big things. But remember, Jesus said, we are nothing without him. In John 15, 5, it says, you can do nothing, nothing. So we need to understand that in our own condition, as human beings, we're helpless. The next one is faith in God's power and faith in God's resources. You see, you cry out to God, and that acknowledges God's ability to do what no one else can do. In other words, when we're crying out to God, we're saying, God, we don't have the answers, we don't have the ability, we don't have what it takes, but you do. You have the power, you have the resources. And then the last one is desperation. Crying out to God is an admission of one's need for God. I'm desperate, God. I'm desperate, God. There's so many things in my own life where I feel that point of desperation. God, I need you, and I'm desperate for a, for a miracle in my life. This is what it says in Psalm 16, or excuse me, 18, verse number six. It says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. So I said, all of those things because that was kind of my opening, I said all of those things to say this. We need to be praying. We need to be a praying people because there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. You see, this virus literally has the world by the throat, but there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer enough to make this virus let go. So how do we pray? Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6, a very familiar portion of Scripture that the Apostle Paul gives us towards the latter part of Ephesians. And I want to look at a couple of verse, verses that I believe will help us. Let's skip all the way to verse number 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet filled fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You see, Paul here in Ephesians spends a considerable amount of time explaining the armor of the Christian soldier. The Christian soldier. But in verse number 18, 19, and 20, he tells us literally where the battlefield is for this Christian soldier. Once you have put your armor on, where's the battle? Because you see, that's the whole idea of putting on the armor. It's not to sit down on the couch and watch television. It's not to go into the kitchen and prepare a meal. It's to go out and fight. That's what the armor is put on for. So as you and I began to go out into the battle, armored up with the armor of God, he tells us where this battlefield is. And so what I want to talk about this morning is, is what he tells us to do once we have this armor on. It's simple. We should pray. We should pray. Since he explained earlier that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of, the e of evil in heavenly realms, Paul tells us now that the battlefield is our prayer closet. That's where this armor comes into play. That's where the helmet of salvation, that's where the breastplate of righteousness comes into play. As we go into, prayer into the prayer clauses to make intercession, folks, we so as a church, as, as, as a national church, as a, as a local church, as individuals, I think we so underestimate the power of prayer. Let me, let me just say it over and over through this message. There is power in prayer, supernatural power in prayer. I believe not only do we underestimate the power of prayer, but we also undervalue the importance of prayer. So many Christians have weak, and so many Christians have virtually non-existing prayer lives. And the biggest loser, whenever we fail to pray, is us. It's us. It, it affects our lives. It affects our destiny. You see, prayer is the power to change everything. Prayer works. There's power in prayer. Prayer is this underlying power that, that happens in our spiritual lives. That's what, that's what happens whenever we put on the armor, we 
enter our prayer closet, and it doesn't have to be a prayer closet. You can pray anywhere, but it's that time whenever you get alone with God and you, you focus on Him and you begin to make your requests known to Him. That underlying power to all that happens in our spiritual lives is prayer. The lack of prayer in our lives literally can have severe consequences. And so this morning, I want to reiterate, prayer changes things. Prayer has power. The practice of prayer will literally produce power to change the world because there's power in prayer. Let me read you a little story. This is in a book by Steve Fahar. It's, it's The Point Man. He tells a story of a guy named George McCluskey. So here it is. Whenever McCluskey married and started a family, he decided to invest one hour a day in prayer because he wanted his kids to follow Christ. Good idea. After a time, he expanded his prayers to include grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Every day between 11 a.m. and noon, he prayed for the next three generations. As the years went by, his two daughters committed their lives to Christ and married men who went into full-time ministry. The two couples produced four girls and one boy. Each of the girls married and married a minister, and the boy became a pastor. The first two children born to this, to this generation were both boys. Upon graduation from high school, the two cousins chose the same college and became roommates. During their sophomore year, one boy, one boy decided to go into the ministry. The other didn't. He undoubtedly felt some pressure to continue the family legacy but he chose instead to pursue his interests in psychology. He earned his doctorate and eventually wrote books for parents that became bestsellers. He started a radio program heard on more than a 1,000 stations each day. The man's name was James Dobson. Through his prayers, George McCluskey affected far more than just one family. I'm sure that probably everybody listening has heard of, of James Dobson at one time or another in their lives. I can tell you that I've depended upon James Dobson's writings. I've depended on his broadcasts for so much information that I've used in the ministry throughout my ministry career. Thank you, George McCluskey, for praying for your family. Prayer has power. You see, the Scriptures teach us that prayer is the key to all spiritual influences in our lives. And a failure to develop a personal prayer life can leave us spiritually ineffective. It can leave us spiritually weak. The spiritual battlefield, again, is our prayer closet. It's here that we make war against Satan and all of the things that Satan brings. So let's talk for a moment about the purpose of prayer. Why should we pray? I've said it over and over. There's power in prayer. But why should we pray? Ephesians 6.18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and with all, in all occasions, with all kinds of prayer and requests. Paul explains here that all occasions is a good time to pray. In other words, it doesn't, you don't have to have a special thing. It's just at all times make prayer. I encourage you to be praying continually. And that just means take a posture of prayer, not pray 24-7 around the clock, but just be in tune and be connected with God through prayer all day long. I can't tell you how many times I pray in the car. I pray while I'm walking across the street. I pray, I pray, I pray all the time. Not so much to just find two hours of prayer in the morning or whatever, but I can say this, 
all day long we should be connected to God in prayer, all occasions. The Christian life requires this communication with our commander-in-chief. It requires this communication with God. That's what prayer is, communicating with our God. That's our purpose. That's the purpose in prayer, is so that we can communicate with God. You see, everything a Christian faces requires prayer, and that's not just the bad stuff. That's the good stuff as well. What kind of prayers should we use? Well, Paul says all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers and requests. The the variety of prayers that you and I can pray are endless. The point here is that we just need to pray. Prayer has to be foundational in our spiritual lives. In other words, it's the first thing. That's why I believe that in the morning is a great time to spend a moment in prayer. Foundational. It sets up our whole day. Foundational not only to our day, but to our lives. What is it that's the foundation to our lives? Is it our jobs? Is it our career? Is it our family? What is our foundation? It should be prayer. It's not just something that you and I learn because I said this many times. I learned how to pray from us from a prayer group at First Assembly of God in Carlsbad, New Mexico. I came literally the first few times that we prayed and I listened to the way these men prayed and I learned how to pray. But that's not enough. You see, just learning how to pray is not enough. It must be something that we do, not just learn, but do. Jesus made it a priority in his life. As I said earlier, how many times did Jesus go off and pray? How many times did Jesus lift up his voice to his heavenly Father? So if Jesus did it, how much more important should it be for us to do it? Because Jesus was perfect. Jesus made it a priority. We need to make it a priority. Prayer was foundational in Jesus' life It was foundational in the early church's life. It has to be foundational in the life and times of each Christian. So in Ephesians 6, 18b, this is what it says. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul admonishes the Ephesian church here to be alert and always praying for each other. This is a time where we need to pray for each other. We have needs. On Realm, we have postings of individuals that have needs, that, that, that need their church family to be praying for them. We need to be praying for another, one another. We need to be holding each other's needs up before the Lord. So I admonish you, whenever you put on the armor of God, whenever you walk into your prayer closet, you begin to go into the battle, the battle for individuals' lives that are part of your church family. I encourage you, pray for one another. Paul finally gets around to asking for prayer for himself. It's a good thing, but I want you to look at how he asked for prayer for himself. In Ephesians 19, 6, 19, and 20, it says, uh, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the, minist- the mystery of the gospel. So here's Paul, he's saying, okay, I want you to pray for me. But you see, it's not even actually asking for prayer for himself so that he might feel more comfortable or maybe he might have less pain because he was a prisoner whenever he wrote this. He was in chains. 
He's asking for us to pray for boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer was not seen by Paul as a means of making his life easier. It was seen as a power to get the gospel out. Though Paul was a prisoner at the time that this was written, his request for prayer had nothing to do whatsoever with his release. Folks, if I would have been in prison, I would have probably been one that's praying, man, get me out of here. Pray pray that this, that this ends and I finally find my freedom. But Paul never said anything like that. He never prayed for his release. In fact, what he was actually praying for was the release of other people from sin. Pray that I can preach the gospel so that other lives might be freed from sin. So I wonder this morning what would happen if Christians all over the world begin to focus their prayers on winning the lost, focus their prayers on, on God's kingdom expanding instead of praying for all the things that make our life easier. Folks, I'm sure during this pandemic that we've prayed for a lot of crazy stuff. I, I imagine there's probably been people praying for a lot of different things. You can fill in the plates. But Paul's concern in prayer was that he would be faithful. The church has this amazing opportunity set before it. And during this crisis, you and I need to be praying. We need to be praying for God to shorten this virus's rampage. We need to be praying for the lives of those people that were that are affected by this pandemic. We need to pray for them, the, the, the physically, uh, the, 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 those that have been affected physically, those that have been affected financially. But you see, the best place that you and I could be focusing our prayers during this crisis is that people would turn to God and be saved. That God could use this whole pandemic for a great awakening to our planet, and ultimately that Jesus would receive glory from it. You see, the church has a decision to make. And I believe that we can end this pandemic and the church can be a whimpering little wet dog or it can be a triumphant lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We have a decision to make. And I believe it takes us praying that the church would not go under, but the church would rise. Most people, I think, would have probably asked, as I would, God, deliver me from prison. But Paul's request for prayer was that others would be delivered from sin. Prayer needs to be seen as a means to conquer Satan, to overthrow Satan's plans, to stop Satan's activities. You see, there's power in prayer, the power to change this planet, but there's no power if there's no prayer. Power comes from prayer. Change comes from prayer. So how the church comes through this crisis is going to be determined by the amount of prayer that the church offers. I believe we can finish well, and that's what I'm praying for. I'm believing that prayer is going to affect this world, and prayer is going to make known the name of Jesus Christ. You see, prayer has a powerful effect on the way things are viewed. See, we all have a, a, a view of how the world is a view of what our situation is like, a view of what this pandemic is like. All of us are living from different angles, if you would. But prayer has this amazing ability to affect the way that we see things. We, we, we have to never underestimate the power of prayer 
to alter our perceptions because this is what I'm I'm thinking. I'm thinking the Lord seeing this crisis a little differently than we're seeing this crisis. Those individuals that have been so affected by this crisis are seeing it differently than God is. Paul doesn't call himself a prisoner in chains, but he calls himself an ambassador in chains. Not a prisoner in chains, but an ambassador in chains. You see, I think the prayer changed Paul's point of view because he could have certainly wrote about, I'm a prisoner in chains, I'm a prisoner in chains, but he didn't see it that way. Sometimes I think our point of views need to be tweaked a little bit. Our point of views need to change, and I believe prayer can change that. Let me read you a scripture. This is out of Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. This is Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither snow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day it is in its own trouble. You see, we worry about so many things. We spend all kinds of times praying about things that are already promised to us if our focus was correct. Seek the kingdom. Use our time in prayer to reach out past those things that we need. And please don't misunderstand me. I think we've all got to pray for our needs, but pray and go on. Don't get stuck on it. Say, God, you know what I need. I'm almost out of toilet paper. And they bought up all the toilet paper in town, but you'll provide for my needs. And just go on. The main thing that you and I need to be praying for is that the kingdom of God and its furtherance. We need to be praying about those lost people that are outside of the realm of his covering with the blood of Jesus Christ. We worry about so many things. We spend so much time praying, and all these things are already promised to us if we will just have the correct focus. Praying for others praying for the needs of others, not so much ours. Whole communities have been changed by one person praying. Whole communities, whole churches have been, pray, have been changed by one person praying. Whole nations have literally been changed by just a small group of people praying. Whole lives have been changed by prayer, and I'm one of them. 
I am a direct result of two people that decided to pray for me before I was saved. Their prayers brought me to Jesus. Their prayers are the reason that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Since prayer is what allows us to literally touch God, something happens whenever we touch Him, whenever we're connected to Him. Prayer allows it to happen. There is no substitute for us connecting with God in this world. You see, we can't learn how to do it the right way good enough. We could go to all the self-help classes, self-help courses. We could go to all of the church growth seminars. We could learn exactly how to pull everything off. But I will tell you, there's no substitute for us connecting our lives with God in prayer. No amount of skills, no amount of capabilities can replace what prayer does in our lives. Powerful people, as well as powerful churches, are praying churches, are praying people. All the great people of the Bible, all the great people in history have been praying people. Our prayers can dramatically alter the landscape of any situation that we might be in. Folks, I'm telling you, God can stop this pandemic. He can stop it. He, can, he could right now, with his supernatural touch, bring it to a stop. But it's going to take his people praying. Prayer can cause you and I to see things totally different. We can see it from God's perspective, rather from the world's perspective. I want to see it like God sees it. And that's what prayer does. It gives us a tweaking, if you would, and the way we see things. Without prayer, a Christian soldier can have on all the armor, but literally not be in the battle. And so this morning, my encouragement for you is to put on the whole armor of God and then enter into that prayer closet and become the Christian warrior that God has called us to be because there is power in prayer. There is no greater power on this planet than the power of prayer. And so since we don't wrestle or we don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight against those spiritual powers, the wicked things in high places. It is critical for us, the Christian soldier, to get in that battle and to bring down these spiritual powers, to break their hold on this planet. No Christian can succeed without prayer. No church can succeed without prayer. It's the place that God's power is released in us and through us. And so this morning, I want to close with this. How is your prayer life? In putting this message together, one of the things I had to consider is, how's my prayer life? How am I doing? Well, this is what I'm going to tell you. My prayer life is improving. I'm getting better every day at praying. And I hope you are too. I hope you can take this message and begin to incorporate it into your everyday. As you're driving down the road, 
as you're washing dishes, as you're vacuuming the floors, as you're taking care of your kids. Speak to God. Pray to God. Believe Him. But in the midst of all that busyness, I think we still have to find that place where we get alone, we get into that prayer closet, and we believe God to literally change the landscape of where you and I are living today. So how's your prayer life? I'm believing that it's improving because there is power in prayer. And God is a miracle-working God. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us something that is amazing. You have put a tool in our hands, Lord God, that goes without saying, Lord God, it's supernatural to connect with the Heavenly Father, to correct, connect with the, with the God of this universe, the God of creation, through our prayer is an amazing thing. But Father, not only just to connect with you, but Lord, to know that all of your resource, all of your power is available to us as we come to you in prayer and we ask you for your intervention. So Father, this day we pray we pray over our nation. We pray over this globe, Father. For those, Lord God, that are suffering right now, Lord God, in the hospitals all over the world, Lord God, that have contracted this virus, I, I pray healing, Father God, in their bodies. Lord, give those that are in charge of their lives through the medical community wisdom, Father, to treat them. I pray, Father, that those families that have been affected, Lord God, that you would be a, a great comfort to each and every one of them, Lord. But Father, this morning I pray this through the power of your holy hand. Stop this virus, Lord. We pray it, Father. We come to a place, Lord, where we know we are unable, that there is, there is none other but you, Lord, that can stop the hand of this virus. So, Father, we reach out to you this morning, and we ask you on behalf of this globe, help us, Lord God, to be the people you've called us to be, to be the Christian soldiers, armed with your word and armed with a shield of faith and clothed with your with your uh, armor, Lord God, to go into the closet and to pray and to believe, Lord, for you to change the fabric of our lives, of our church, of our community, of this globe, through the lifting up of the name of Jesus, that all might be saved. We pray that, we believe for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning.